Welcome back to another episode of sasslife.fm. I am Sam, and with me as always is Chris. Last time we spoke, you were heading out for a big vacation. How how was the vacation, Chris? Yeah. We went to Maui for 10 days and it was great. In general, didn't do too much work, so call that a win. Nice. Yeah. Also missed a 14-inch snow dump out here in Montana. So that's both oh, a wow. win and you know, I kind of like the first big snow of the year. So winning a loss sure. there. I would categorize that as a, that's a double win in my book. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is cold back again. So, you know, back nice. to reality, we had perfect weather in Maui. You know, we relaxed, the, we tried a new hotel uh-huh. and really enjoyed it because it had just a great beach for the kids. So, you know, they Excellent. had so much fun just playing in the waves excellent snorkeling i think the highlight of my trip was the fact that my youngest while snorkeling got squirted by an octopus no like, way <laughs> yeah which I, I mean that's never happened to me i've, I've never even seen it's an not, octopus not, yeah <laughs> that's awesome but that's all great. of a sudden yeah we're separated by this big dark cloud of ink and he's going, dad dad an octopus <laughs> So it was effective. You know, the octopus got away. It yeah, was. It was kind of cool. you know, I kind of saw it out of the corner of my eye. It just shoots off when it does that. So Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned that you guys were possibly going fishing. Did that did that happen? Did you get yeah. out on the on the charter? <laughs> yeah, we did. We went fishing, mostly for my oldest. I got horribly seasick. So Oh no. Yeah, I just spent the entire time on the boat like laying down on a bench and trying to not throw up. <laughs> And feeling oh, man. feeling terrible that I wasn't helping rough. with the fishing process, but yeah, dad, dad, come look. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I'm good here. I gotta keep my eyes closed, buddy. That was said a couple oh, times. Oh man. So yeah, eventually <laughs> both kids got seasick as well, but they they had okay. a lot of fun before that struck. They lasted nice. much longer than I did, and my wife was was good the whole time. So it was still fun. They caught some things. I was going to ask, did they catch and did you do the, the catch and cook? The, you know, unfortunately, they did not catch anything that was cookable. It actually sounded like oh, it was okay. a really bad fishing day. But a lot of times when I go fishing, I catch absolutely nothing. So I thought it was oh, good. Okay. Some yeah. fish that were tropical looking were on hooks, but apparently they were none of the kind that you would want to eat. Okay. All right. Well, it's good that you had the the local guide steering you <laughs> the right way. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to sure, we'll cook that. Hand over your money. It'll be great. No, I did, did that. Well, and I think that the sounds main... like it's a wonderful, wonderful trip. Yeah, it, it was. And it was nice not to work too much. We we had a couple things come up. I guess we can segue into my kind of updates here. I tried to get a couple things done on the way down, really working on kind of pulling together this master support database as we lean more and more into SaaS across all our business lines. Was hoping to do that on the way down, but we had some really almost concerningly old plane. I mean, we were flying on United, but this thing was ancient. And so, you know, the plugs did, they had installed plugs, but they didn't work. Like the, your, you know, oh, MacBook yeah. wouldn't stay plugged in. And then it didn't much matter because the internet was so terrible that, yeah, <laughs> there was, it was like unusable. So, yeah, didn't get that done, but, didn't even try once I got there. Said so I'll deal with it when we get back. And then the only other thing that came up was this customer support issue that I got involved in only because it's a customer who's had a handful of problems during the onboarding process. 
which can happen. They have a very different data set. They use a custom template. And there just were a couple hiccups in the way that template transferred over. So the templates, kind of the fields and the data they're collecting. You know, obviously we try not to have it happen, but a bunch of minor things that kind of kind of add up, you know, paper cuts that are annoying for the customer to the point where, you know, this is getting frustrating because we have to call in when we're trying to produce a deliverable and up against the deadline. I get it, you know, so... I did jump into that support issue. I think it would have been fine if I hadn't. And it was actually kind of a good lesson because since we had had issues with this customer before, we assumed immediately it was on our end. And so we're digging into all these things. The entire Chrome was freezing is what was happening when she would try to save data. And so we're going down all these rabbit holes trying to look at, you know, is there a memory leak? Is there anything else? But we're not hearing this from anybody else. We can't replicate it. And after going through all of that, I'm trying to, you know, we, we had a bunch of people on it and doing a bunch of different things to just try to get this resolved quickly. But once we dug in a bit deeper, it turned out that their IT department, which is outsourced, installed some new antivirus software. Oh, And sure. it wasn't that it was necessarily blocking our traffic. It was just running in the background on a computer with eight gigs of RAM and grinding everything to a halt. So what this person didn't report as they're talking about the bug is it's not just pipe tech that's not working. Nothing oh, really works. <laughs> nothing really works. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a denial of service on the computer itself. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah, nice that it's not on us and we're and... still working through it with them to help them fix it. And, you know, that's all going to go fine. Their IT department is on it and is going to upgrade that computer and in theory, solve things. That's the nature of troubleshooting. It's like, it can always be so many different things, even within just the context of your own platform. And then you open it up to the real world (laughs) and (laughs) different laptops and iPads and different tech that people are using. And it's just like, it's, it can get, get tough, not nailing down what that problem is. It, It can. I mean, at least we have the benefit of being on a web platform, right? So we can see a lot more of what's happening. Versus we deal with that in the field, on the field software side, a lot because there's different robots that things are interfacing with, right. different yeah, yeah. environments. You know, sometimes there's a generator for power and is that clean? And so we are used to it and probably should have figured this out a bit quicker. Well, yeah. So I'm curious, you mentioned that this particular client had a really custom setup with their template and the, the information they're capturing and how they're reporting do you anticipate that becoming more and more common as you onboard new customers? Is there going to be a need for a lot of customization down the line? Or are you going to be able to kind of steer people into kind of a more standardized setup? Both is the, the answer. Yeah. So without yeah. boring everybody on our data scheme, <laughs> you know, what we basically have is like a couple of very core, what we call standards. And so those are the schemas that are used very frequently and make up the foundation for, I would say at this point, 80% of our customers and growing. Those are set kind of at the industry level, right? Like yeah. Industry standards. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're industry standards that more and more people are. And then we also have a couple that are our, our own. So for people who don't want to use that big industry standard, we have basically a beginner and an intermediate for lack of a better term, you know, because nobody wants to collect more data than they have to. It takes more time. 
So we have those as what we call our standards. And then it's a lot easier to take a standard and layer on an extension, which you can think of as like a handful of overrides. So, you know, the standard says this field isn't required, but we're going to make it required. Or we want to add these two fields to our template. So the standard, the extension, and then there's what we call settings, but that governs more things about how the video is natively recorded and stuff like that. All three work together to be a template. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Because I, that's going to be, anytime you get into customization, it can get out of hand pretty quick. <laughs> and But it seems like you're, you're going into that clear eyed and you know that that's going to be the reality. And so building accordingly. So that's good. Yeah, we, we built it knowing that it would have to accommodate that. So what's been a little bit of a challenge and kind of what this other customer faced is that the actual data structure between the field software and hub is different. And so what we're essentially doing is recreating or had been doing is recreating the template in hub to match the template in the field software. So everything lines up and it's easy to make a mistake there, just human error, because that's the only way to do it. What we've since started developing, and I think will come out fairly soon is portability for templates. So that way it just, you know, is automatic and it'll just work. Yeah. Yeah. And not only the complexity in a single platform, but then having to talk across multiple platforms with that same template, that same language, that same customization. Yeah. That, <laughs> that gets dicey pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And it's databases too, right? So a lot of it has oh, yeah, a, yeah. a hard schema. So if something fails, you can't insert the record, but we do yeah. have, and we're, we're just continuing to harden, which is actually kind of kind of fun kind of leads me to we had our highest bill aws bill this month Woohoo! okay that's 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 good and bad at the same time it's a little painful because it's not necessarily driven by new revenue i mean that's gone up incrementally (laughs) but but it's driven by usage we've had some really active users but it's still very satisfying and i'm sure you have this too to watch things be done on your application right oh yeah like yeah yeah you know if you're looking at the logs and it's just it's kind of cool Yeah. It goes back to that value prospect. I mean, that's the reason that we're doing this, or at least the reason that I'm doing it is I want to provide value to my customers, give them a tool that allows them to do something that they normally wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Or even if they could do it otherwise, it was so much work that we really just make it a lot simpler for them. And providing that value, the money's nice. Obviously, we're in it to to make a profit and to, to grow a business. But I don't know how I'd feel about a business that just churns out cash, but no one's getting use out of it. You know, that's I'd, I'd kind be of willing to, to see like, how I feel about yeah, it. Sure. Uh, I, I, <laughs> let's try it for a little bit, you know, see how that goes. But I think ultimately I want to be able to provide value to customers. And if they're not getting that value, if they're not getting that usage out of it, then I don't know. I don't, I frankly, I don't know if they'd stick around that long. So I, I, I think it's a self-fulfilling. It would, it would go away, but it, well, it um, sounds cliche, but I mean, I, I do get a ton of satisfaction about seeing people use the application in a way that makes their lives easier, better, you know, even though it's just a small part of their life. So it is cool. Yeah. Well, and it, it is something, I mean, you've built it. I mean, it's something that you and your team, you, you put it together, you build it, you put it out there and and you see that, oh, no, this is making a difference. And that's, yeah, there, there's a very good feeling about that. Yeah. Yeah. And with that comes more and more 
feedback, right? Which is generally yeah. good, but yes. we actually, uh, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but we need some mechanism to better capture that feedback that we've been using the triage thing in linear and it <laughs> kind of works, but it's still because of our processes, not perfect yet. But one of the other things that's come up with customer feedback is revamping our user permissions structure, our roles. Mm. Yeah. We did design it to be pretty accommodating to whatever path we ultimately choose, but trying to think through, are we ever going to have to have a true, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the term, but as opposed to user A, user B, and user C roles with these permissions, are we going to have to get more granular and have allow our users to say, Sally gets permissions on A, B, and C, where John only gets permissions mm. on D, F, and G, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, I think as you, I mean, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of that on, on the text retailer side in, in that typically there's a few people that need access to the platform or would like to have access because it's, it involves with their their marketing. And, and so there might be a, a team that's involved with that. And definitely for... Actually, typically what happens is there's someone that's more in charge of the sending the broadcasts and kind of the marketing angle. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one that's more in the responses. And so if there's customer support questions that come in, ah. so we typically have two roles in that sense. And right now we're wide open. So if you have access to an account, you can see everything. You can do everything within that account. I could see down the line having to narrow that on a per user basis and Frankly, I just haven't done those tools yet because that hasn't really been needed. But but the thing that we're running into is people will be like, oh, I need to, you know, so-and-so to get access to the same account. And that's a huge manual process for me right now. So oh. to give them at least ownership to create a new user account or a new user under that same account is something that I need to get onto the list sooner than later because it's just, it's not that huge of a deal for the customer, but, you know, they have to send an email and then it's... You know, at so, least so there's no user interface time. for them to add not, users. Not okay. really. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that needs to be be added. And I've realized that I'm. It's those kind of low hanging administrative pieces. I get so hung up on the exciting stuff that we're building mm -hmm. that I don't devote time to kind of that more you know account management stuff that needs to happen. Just because it does make the the users' lives easier to just be able to do that on their own. Yeah, we have some of the same stuff. We did go in with ability to create new users because that's something that our customers need right away. But still, in you know, we're seeing right now in figuring out how we handle the permissions, it's going in a different direction than I thought. So we'll see. You know, the the other thing we have to deal with that's we're thinking about in this whole permissions restructuring is we have machine-to-machine -machine authorization that happens because we want to be able to upload the data directly from the trucks. And we now also are having a group of users who does not have email access but needs to be able to authenticate. So probably should have... How are you going to do that? Are you... I got a couple ideas, but I guess I'll bounce it off you because let me first lay out the situation. So first of all, we use AWS Cognito. We're open to switching, but you know, Fusion Auth and OAuth and the main identity providers are just so expensive. So right now we're on Cognito. We would like to stay within that framework. The requirements 
that we thought we would be up against are operators in the field who do not have anything other than personal email need to be able to upload videos or upload inspections. No problem. That is handled through the machine to machine authorization, right? Was kind of the plan. But now they also want these folks, or at least some people want these folks to have at least what we call reference user access, basically read-only access to all the data once it's been uploaded, which makes sense. So we're trying to sort through, okay, we've made, you know, there's a possibility of just using usernames. Right now, your username is your email. The problem with using usernames is now we have to scope everything down to the org level and potentially even have like a different sign-in path for different orgs, or we have to go through and check uniqueness, right? Because you don't, you can't have two Chris M's as usernames. So that might be a little frustrating and people are going to forget both their username and their password. And then how do we reset it? I don't know. We don't have an email we can use. So that was, that's one thing. Another thing we were thinking about is somehow basing it off of the field app. So allowing the field application to authenticate base and then give the users access that way. So basically, you know, the field app has a token and it can pass it along. And now we know that that's associated with this organization. And so whomever is opening the website via the field app gets read-only access. That seems reasonably safe. And I think everybody would be comfortable with that. The downside is there's certainly going to be users who say, no, 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 I want to actually access this without an email address in the office. And it's those users that we're really struggling with. Do you want to get down the text message path and have like your dual authentication where they just type in their phone number? You have that mapped on, on your end that you know that phone number X you know, belongs to a user Y and you send them a one-time password and they use that to type in and they just type that password in tied to their phone number and kind of a passwordless login? That's the third path we're exploring. Yeah. I don't know how much there is to that though. You know, how big of a lift is it? I mean, so I think there's, I want to say that Twilio has a service called Authy that will actually do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. I think the bigger challenge is not the actual mechanism of the generating of a token and, and having that come in on your end. That's uh, it's fairly trivial. I think the bigger ask is maintenance of the phone number list of the mappings to the users and capturing that information. Maybe that's not a big deal when you're setting up those users and and if they don't have an email, they just put in a phone number. We probably could do that. Yeah. So if you don't have an email, you put in a phone number. Right. And and we actually asked that for a phone number anyway for two-factor auth. We don't require it, but we do ask for it. Right. So we could allow just a phone number and then with I guess the flow would come out of the box from Authy or, or whomever we use, but I, I assume it would be something like, you know, okay, it sends them a, a quick message to say, yeah, I'm, I'm real. And then when they want to log in, there's a separate option for login with phone number. And if they select yeah, that, they put they in their s- phone number and then it prompts for a password and they put the password in. Yeah. Basically the way that it works is they put in, like you were saying, they put in an email with a password combination, or you just say, type in your phone number here and they submit that phone number, you check that against your internal database and your mappings. If you have a match, then you generate a six-digit random number, put that in your database, and maybe you have 
maybe it's like a 20 minute window. It's you, you keep track of it's been cached or not, if it's been used in the past. So it's basically a one-time use. You can kind of tweak that depending on what your security needs are, but then you're just sending a text message to that phone number that they inputted with that generated token or with that generated six digit code. And then you change the login screen. So as soon as they put in their phone number and it says get code, they click the button. Now you have an input for that six digit code. They receive it in their text message and they just type in the six digit code. You make sure that that all matches up with the, the stuff that you have stored on your database. And if it's within that, that window of, and it hasn't been cached yet, then you let them in and you know who the, who the user is in theory. So it's, it's basically just using the second half of that two-factor authentication and only using that, that piece and not re- messing with an email and a password to start the process. You're actually going straight to the, the phone number to start the process. I'll chat about that with a couple of users. That seems smooth. It seems slick. It seems okay security-wise because I've seen it done elsewhere. Not that that's any reason to say someone else does it, so it must work. But Yeah, the, the, the main downsides are what happens if that text message never comes. Then they literally cannot log in. Right. And so there's downsides in that sense. Technically, there's there's ways to to hijack SMS yes. and things along those lines. Given the nature of what you're dealing with <laughs> and the the customers that you have, I don't know if that's a huge security concern, but it's definitely to, something to be aware of. Yeah, it's not like you're dealing with banking banking records and things like that. Right, that's uh, super high priority. So I could see potentially saying, okay, if you log in with SMS you're automatically a, a reference user, you know, that's your permission level. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that could work. But what I'm wondering if we're going to face right away is, yeah, just like our users don't have work emails, they only have their personal, personal phones as phone. well. And we don't want to send, right. us- uh, we don't right. want to send a text to that. At which point it's kind of like, okay, I mean, I don't know what else to do. Other than, other than do, do they actually work for you? Right. Because it seems like you've given them nothing. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one to crack. And it's, it's a challenge when there's no resources from that employee perspective in that they're, they don't have a work email. They don't have a work phone. There's, there's nothing to tie them to the company out in the field and it's just kind of like, okay, so what are we doing here? And how do you want to do this? So, yeah, I mean, in theory, you mentioned Authy, which I use Authy. I didn't realize they did this. I use Authy for two factor for a bunch of different things that it generates the token, you know, and then it expires and generates a new one. So we could, if you remember those old, I think they're the RSA ID little like key fob things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. The other thing is you just, the username path, and because again, the, uh, maybe it's just one of those things that is just set up on the user and you just have a few different paths to log in, whether it's email and password combo, username and password combo, phone number plus token combo. Yeah. And it makes your login more complicated, but then you can kind of service those different different needs. It's kind of fun chatting through this with you because it's the same thing that we would do internally. We're just kind of doing it live at the very early end of shaping a feature. We've identified the user need and the feature. We don't know exactly yet if we're even going to go through with it or where on the roadmap it falls, but we're going to spend you know a couple hours beating it up and really trying to figure out what different paths could look like, ruling things out, going back to customers and saying, hey, does this solve your need or not? And then ultimately scoping it down or shaping it down to a point where 
it's at least well-defined and level of effort is generally known. And so we can then choose where it falls priority-wise on the roadmap. You can always do a login with Facebook too. You know, that's, that's another option. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Just float that in your next customer meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's all we'll do. Anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> decided to Uh, yeah totally in the metaverse actually so right yeah (laughs) all right you have to put on your goggles anyway to get get out of the weeds so we've been yeah that's kind of been my post-vacation world is thinking through some of these features working on some roadmap stuff and then uh believe it or not trying to think through marketing which will pick up here next year so we're actually ordering a bunch of cool engraved yeti mugs which will be fun to oh nice out. yeah yeah little gifts i think you could do some i mean because with the with the the size of the contracts that you're working with and the type of cl- customers that you're trying to court i think you could do some really neat like giveaways and swag and stuff and that's i, I think you could have a lot of fun with that yeah i think so too so we're thinking about it yeah cool not to get too much into that are there rules because you're dealing with a lot of government agencies like cities and municipalities. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's some rules as yeah. far as what you can and can't do. It, it depends on the city. It's still fairly yeah. loose, you know, as long as it's not something that's mm-hmm. terribly expensive, but there are some cities that, you know, you, if you got to a lunch meeting, they have to pay for their portion. Uh, yeah. So it depends. Right. Yep. Okay. But contractors cool. will take anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> Free stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what is up in your world, Sam? What have you been working on? It's been one of those weeks that's been very good in the sense that I, the the calendar, the the negative side is the calendar is very free. So not a lot of, not a lot on the the terms of potential customer conversations or things like that. So I've been actually been able to do a lot of heads down work, building things that we've been, that have been on the list for a long time. And I'm kind of circling back to features. These aren't necessarily new features. But there, there are things that we have in place that just need a little bit of TLC. You know, these are things that were built as like either an attack on or as like a easy feature way back in the early days. And, you know, and we're coming up on this month, the two year anniversary of when I started building text retailer, which wow. blows my mind. Is it really? It just, it's, it's both. It just, I have a hard time with that, <laughs> that, that, that anniversary because it just, it feels like yesterday, but it's like we've built, there's been a lot of stuff that's built into this platform and arguably overbuilt, but you know, that's a separate, separate conversation, but it's definitely, there's things that needed to, that we needed to come back to. And most of that comes from it being used out in the field. So you talked about actual usage. We have actual merchants that are going through the process and getting a better sense of what their their need is and being able to kind of take these features that I kind of just was shooting in the dark when I first built them now have real world information, real world needs to, to revamp them. So the one that's that launched earlier this week is our custom fields. The concept of a custom field has been completely revamped. And I would say it's more distributed throughout the entire system. And so our standard fields that we might be capturing from an end user, obviously the phone number, maybe an email address, typically those are required, maybe some name information, shipping information for if they're selling physical products, 
then we actually have the credit card information as well. So all that kind of gets captured as standard fields. But there's a big trend in e-commerce, and we can talk about it in, in software in general, of having a better understanding of who your customer is. And traditionally, that came from either third-party data. So you're, you're deriving information from another platform, like a Facebook. So like if there were a lead that came in through a Facebook, Facebook might provide some information to you either through the, the ads. Same thing with Google ads. You might have a good insight into why they're coming to your, your platform, but that's all being provided by a third party. And then you have first party data. And those are things that your system is is deriving itself. And, and, and I might be botching these terms, but this is just my understanding of, of the differences between them. So a good example of a third, a first party system or a first party data within our system would be a person makes a particular purchase. And so you know that they purchased that particular product and you can kind of derive some information from that. The challenge with that, especially in the e-com world is, is that first person data always reliable? Because the, the one thing that always throws the wrench in it is let's say I'm buying a product, but I'm buying it as a gift. And so if you tie that product to my profile, I might not have any interest in that particular product or product category, but my sister does, or my best friend does, or who, someone else does that I'm buying as a gift. And so you can get really, you can come to conclusions that are just inaccurate about that individual based upon their buying habits or their browsing habits, even though it's derived directly from that person and their activity it might not be for for what they really what their what their intentions really are. Now there's this huge trend of what they're calling zero party data, which is information that that individual gives directly to you. And so you'll see this a lot with like quizzes, especially in the cosmetics space, where you'll come to a website, there'll be a pop-up that says, "Hey, find your perfect shade or find your, you know, whatever foundation." I don't really know, <laughs> but but the basic idea is they they go through this quiz where there might be two, three, five different questions and from that, it's the person actually giving you their preferences, giving you insights into who they are and what they might be interested in, and then you're using that that data that is explicitly provided to generate recommendations or to just segment your lists down. So we've been laying the foundation for all that. So custom fields is kind of our concept to allow for those type of things. And so then each individual brand, each individual merchant has the ability to set up multiple pieces of information. And these could be as broad as like, just type in your answer, you know, free text type answers. They could be choice. And so you're trying to give them a set of options and using those, those multiple choice to, to really segment and categorize your, your different customers. And those custom fields are now in all of our online forms. So you can put those into the embedded forms, the hosted form. The next piece is to be bringing that into the text messaging component itself. Very similar to the other business of Textiful, where someone could start the, the enrollment process either by sending a text or scanning a QR code, and then they start down this kind of questionnaire that's all text-based. So they get asked a question and they reply A, B, or C with their answer. And then it's building that profile all through text message. And the customer themselves is providing that information and it can be really insightful to the merchant's depending on how they, they choose to, to use that. So 
Yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty big overhaul that we had. Yeah, to do. it sounds big. Is it out now then, or is it shipped, or what's the status? Yep, it shipped earlier this week, and there was only a handful of merchants that were using this concept of custom fields that we had before at all. And mm-hmm. so I think this is just going to be making it a lot easier for them to, for new merchants to kind of get involved with this. I mean, it's even small things like before, if you set up a custom field, you couldn't even change the order of the options. <laughs> and so like, if you wanted to reorder the options, you had to delete them all and re-add them all in the order that you wanted them. And so it's just little things that we did that allowed you to just drag and drop the options. You can rearrange the order of the questioning on these forms. And so it's just a lot of convenience things that we've added to the whole system. Again, coming back to it with new eyes and just being like, okay, this is something that we think is going to be used more. So let's make it a lot more user friendly for the merchants. Very cool. Have you gotten any feedback or is it still too early? It's still pretty early. The email just went out earlier this week, had a conversation with one merchant. They're really excited, but they haven't done anything with it. I think the big game changer was if we bring it into our automation system with the data capture via text message. I think that's going to really be the driver of this because that's very unique because they can capture some of this information through other tools. But if they're really going heavy on the the QR code slash text to join concept, then it just becomes really natural to say that that customer texts in a keyword, they've joined the list. Now let's ask them for an email address. Let's ask them for their name and just then start them on the onboarding process. So I think that's going to really drive adoption later on. Cool. Looking forward to seeing that kind of spin up and, and see how people are using it, engaging with it. Yeah, no, I'm excited too. And, and, it's also going to, you know, I mentioned the the automation system. That's that's kind of the next piece. We're completely revamping the look and feel of that because we're adding more as we make that more complex and give more options. The user interface is kind of it's getting a little clunky and a little okay, <laughs> a little tough to understand what that flow looks like. And so, revamping that design, I'm looking forward to getting that out too. And so, we're just kind of spending a lot of time on tools and features that merchants might be familiar with on other platforms and just kind of bringing those into text retailer. So they feel more comfortable with using us as kind of their main texting source and almost a mini CRM in a way, like building these profiles, tagging individuals, custom fields. You can really do some interesting things with knowing each individual customer based upon the actions they took, that first party data combined with zero party data and really get powerful segmentation out of it. Do you allow them to bring external data in at all? So for example, like either through a spreadsheet or through a direct connection to you know, an email service provider or something else? Yeah, right now that all happens through the Zapier integration in the sense that they can get signups in, in other areas and use Zapier to sync them in as a subscriber. We have to be a little bit careful of how we unlock that just because of all the rules surrounding SMS right. and opt-ins. But generally speaking, yes, they can they can populate customer information from other sources. One of our bigger sources is the actual e-commerce platforms. If they're if they're one that are they're on Big Commerce or Shopify. We can pull in that customer's buying habits and, and buying history, not just on what they bought with text to buy, but what they are buying from that brand on the e-commerce side as well, on the website side. So we can pull that past purchase history from big commerce, from Shopify, 
and use that to segment as well. So I think that's that's a big piece of where that information can come from. So, is that in some kind of standardized format? Like, I mean, are they just just getting really under the hood? I mean, is it just a bunch of objects that represent things that you can read and make sense of? Yeah, each each system is a little bit different as far as how it's built out, but for the most part, you have a concept of an attribute. And so the attribute has like either a label or a defining characteristic and then the value. And so they're kind of, you know, I mean, they're, they're key value pairs essentially. They might not be packaged that way by the, by the, the platforms, but that's ultimately what we're trying to get to is you have this custom value, which is this attribute with this key. And this is the value that's assigned to that particular customer for that attribute and then using that in your, your segmentation later on. Yeah. Roadmap wise, then how much segmentation do you allow right now? And what do you plan to do? Cause you could see getting really complex with, I mean, I'm thinking ahead, you might have to build a query builder, which I would love for you to do because then I can copy. I already have it. Oh, good. Let me, let me look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, no, we, we have segmentation is big more so on the SMS side than, than email, just because the expense that's associated with individual text messages. And yeah. so to be effective with the ROI, the merchants that we see that are the most effective are those that heavily segment their lists and are sending the quote unquote right deal to the right individuals. If you're just blasting your entire list and this, this really doesn't come into play unless you get into to scale, like you have 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 plus people on your subscriber list. Anyone that's below that, I would just, you know, just send it to your entire list until you can kind of figure it out because you can over segment if your list is too small and it's just, you're going to get more value of sending it to everyone. But when you get to that big of scale and it's costing, you know, hundreds of dollars to send out a text message, you want to get some ROI on it and you want to make sure you're sending it to the right individuals. And so segmentation strategy, especially as you get bigger, is critical. It's it's really, really valuable. We're building out more tools. I want to go deeper integrations with the the various platforms. But like right now, you can build a a segment that's like only send this to people that have made three or more purchases and have this particular tag and have done this action in the last month and did not receive this last campaign. So you can stack all of those together and really kind of build your own segmentation on a per campaign basis. The thing that I really want to get to is being able to take those same rules and building out kind of live segments. And so like you set up the rules and people will flow in and out of that that segment based upon those rules. And so then when you want to send a campaign, you just select one of those predefined live segments as opposed to rebuilding all the rules when, at the time you want to send. You just say, hey, send it to my my VIP customers that have bought in the last 30 days. And that list constantly updates itself based upon their behavior, but you're just sending it to that segment in the campaign. So funny to see these parallels that I guess really are maybe SaaS problems that you know you could start to bucket and people might want to, to look at. We have the exact same thing in our world, right? It's show me all the pipes that have roots that have been surveyed in the last year and are, you know, in this particular area. So there's a geospatial context, right? And we call it a saved filter. You know, you can filter for that. You'll get your list or you can save the filter, which means that as those attributes change, whether new inspections are added or old inspections are edited, the list is dynamic. 
See, there you go. Pipes and e-commerce customers identical. <laughs> it doesn't matter when it comes to software. They're just filtering them and segmenting them. That's that's great. Perfect. Well, cool, Sam. I don't know if we're going to get to chat here before Thanksgiving. I have a couple yeah. of things coming up. So this might be the last one in November as well as the first one in November. Hey, you know, it's it's that time of year. Q4 is... It's crazy time for us. I know both professionally and personally, it's just, it's just a, it's a crazy time. So yeah, we'll get one in though. Hopefully by the end of the year, I, I assume we can, we can do yeah, that. Yeah, We'll, we'll make that happen. I did want to leave people with at least one thing I'm into. I don't know if you've got one, but I, I will say, so we returned from Hawaii. We did a red eye flight with a five and a seven year old, which works okay because they, yeah, Julie and I generally do not a lot. So we got, into Denver, we landed at early. The only time I don't want to land early at 5.30 a.m. Denver time, you know, which is yeah. 1.30 a.m. Hawaii time. You have jet lag. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. You feel like, yeah, you're going to Hawaii and it's not like a foreign country, but you're dealing with that same time change. Depending on time of year for us, it's only three hours. This time it was four because okay. Hawaii does not, not do bad. daylight savings time. So three hours is actually pretty doable. I This time we did have yeah. problems with jet lag. In the past, I really haven't. Although I have visited from the East Coast in a previous life and that was horrible. But anyway, yeah. we landed at Denver at 5.30 <laughs> in the morning. Our flight out of Denver was already going to have a long layover, but it gets delayed. So we don't end up leaving mm-hmm. Denver until 2 p.m. So we've got two tired kids Oof. and we're you know trying to do what we can in the airport. But we make it. We finally get home to Bozeman. And since we had had a fairly early morning flight, I guess one of the kids thought it was probably important to turn on the lights inside the car. So after all oh, that, no. we're just beyond exhausted. The battery in the car is dead. Oh, the absolute last thing you want to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a long day it, you've already had. It was. And you're so close to home. No, I know. Exactly. <laughs> like- and we're not thinking fully clearly. It's like, what do we do? You know, and I'm, I said, so here, here's the other like thing about, I guess, modern cars, but I don't know. We, we hate our car in general. The jumper cables have their own little home, but that home is like yeah. under the little trap door in the trunk. Can't open the trap door in the trunk because can't open the trunk because it's electric. So can't right, get to right, the right. jumper cables. Can't put the car in neutral even to push it out, even if we wanted to, because without like prying up this part on the dashboard and inserting a screwdriver to force the shifter to allow you to put it in neutral without being on oh, I'm just like, yeah. anyway <laughs> i was ready to just say screw it we've got the car seats because we brought those with us to hawaii so let's just take a lift right. home and deal with this julie yeah, had yeah. the forethought to actually ask at the little pay parking thing if they had one of the portable jumpers which they did oh yeah so that nice. really long-winded story that we've probably lost all our listeners on already leads me to what i'm into <laughs> which is a portable battery charger or battery jump starter, I guess. They have gotten so small and so cheap. This thing is, you know, you can't really see, but call it four inches by six inches, maybe. It's a big brick. Oh, and you just yeah. charge it and you've got it with you. Maybe, maybe everybody knows about these. I only knew about the ones that were like, you know, really big and bulky, big. So not practical to just keep in the right. car. but. For 50 bucks, I can't say I recommend this brand because we haven't had to try it yet. It just arrived yesterday, but my thing that I'm into is the portable jump starter. 
So here's what you have to do now is keep the car in the garage. Don't start it. Turn all the lights on for like another week. Yeah. <laughs> let it, let it die down and give, give it a try, try and report back. Yeah. No, yeah. I think we're just waiting until Drain the, the next battery. time it dies. It, a kid will leave a door yeah. open or a light on at some point here. Yeah. 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 It'll happen. It'll happen. Well, very cool. Yeah. So the thing that I'm into is we just went through the process of finally got a new internet provider in town. So we were locked into the cable company. They were the only game in town that had semi high speed internet. And finally two other providers came in that are doing fiber networks. So we went with one of them. We've upgraded. We now have a gig up and a gig down mirrored, mirrored. Yeah. Mirrored fiber. So that's great in itself. But then the thing that really made it even better is I bought the, the Eero Pro, the mesh network. Mm-hmm. I think it's now owned by Amazon. But so we have two of those routers and it's just, they just work. I mean, they just, you, you set them up and you have Wi Fi and it's just not something you fight with. You have no, no dead, dead spots, zones. Yeah. It's pretty great. Now you don't get the full gig through the Wi Fi. Right. So it, it, it's definitely averaging out about, I would say a third of that, probably about, you know, 350, 400, which is still pretty great from Wi-Fi perspective. The thing that is, you just have coverage everywhere. Yep. And it's got a little app that you can see what devices are on and kind of manage those. And they have a pro pro version that you can actually go deeper into like management and content filtering and stuff like that. We haven't pulled the trigger on that yet. So far, it's been, it's one of those things that once you get it installed, you're like, okay, why did we, why were we fighting our Wi-Fi? so much for so long yeah this is just easier and it's done and when we bought it i don't know if they're still running the same deal but they had buy one get one free basically so we got the two pack for the price of one so it was a really nice deal from amazon so hopefully that's still going yeah cool that sounds really useful it might be something i look at putting in my parents house and helping them out they always run into trouble we did the whole ubiquity thing over here so it's kind of like a prosumer i mean i guess they've got their own professional but i feel like it's trickled down to the prosumer segment it's great it works well but it's kind of a pain in the ass to set up and maintain to be honest so yeah just the two yeah just the two mesh network links and done sounds amazing yeah it's been pretty great so good all right all right chris well this is great as always and uh hope you have a great rest of your november and we will chat before the end of the year sounds good sam you too take care bye everybody yep see you later thanks (laughs) 